This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Friday. It's Friday. The best day of the week. Woo! Woo! It's Friday. <laughs> Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Rocking and rolling into the weekend. Bills might be a little bit healthier going into Sunday. We will explain. And it's the OBL Friday fan mailbag. Any questions you may have on the Bills, the league at large, Steve and I are here to answer them just like a therapist. We're not licensed, of course, but we're here to answer them anyway, as we feel we are uh, at least relatively qualified to address your concerns and queries about your (laughs) Buffalo Bills. We also have a jam-packed show today, in addition to the Friday Fan Mailbag, which is open for your submissions, either on the phone lines at 803-0550, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet. Happy birthday to George Haas. Bloss. George Bloss. I just say Haas. You said Haas. You turned him him very German I was thinking of J. Haas. Whatever. George George Bloss. Bloss. He's the founder of our lunch today, which was awesome, except I ate the wrong lunch today. Yes, so here's, here's what happens. This, <clears throat> this is important The lunches stuff, come know, in, but... in, you know, they're all in their packaged styrofoam containers, and they all have our names Courtesy on top of, of them. of George Bloss. They all have our names on them. And for those of you that are unfamiliar, and if you are, you've been living under a rock, there is not, in my years on this planet, a faster or more physically aggressive eater than Steve Tasker. <laughs> I am a fast eater, most people will tell you. I don't – I am I, – I'll put it to you this way. You're an embarrassment to fast eaters. You're not. I am an embarrassment eater. to Steve Tasker, mm. the fast eater. Steve Tasker is the Usain Bolt of fast eaters. I've never seen anything like it. So that being said – I we did. all have we all have our styrofoam containers with our names on them. So I walk in here about 15 minutes ago. Steve is already elbow deep in a hamburger. Cheeseburger. What was it called, by the way, Jay? I can't remember. A what bam. It was. A bam burger. So so it's got bacon. <clears throat> to my defense, avocado and I don't know tom- mozzarella. Yeah, it cheese. Good. It was really good. So that's called Actually. a bam burger. The problem is. That's not what Steve ordered. <laughs> well, wait. Steve ordered now, a double cheeseburger. In my in my defense, I just grabbed the thing that had my. It, it had no, no. You had Steve written on. You it. are not. You are not the guilty party here. So by the time, however, however, Steve, the speed with which you eat yeah, is I mean, so it blinding. For, it was done for. I, mean, I don't I, think your that. tongue even recognized it, what was contained on the burger well, I knew it until had, it was already down your gullet. I didn't know what I ordered. I knew I said, listen, I don't, because I, there was a menu and it was like, eh, somebody ordered a burger and fries. I said, give me the burger and fries. And in fact, if possible, because I didn't look at the menu, I yeah. said, give me a double burger and fries yeah. and whatever's on it. So, you know, everybody under the in the world has their own spin on burgers. So I open it up thinking, whatever, they just got me something, right? Here's the burger. I'm and here's the burger, and it happens, it happens to have mozzarella and avocado and all that. It was, you know, I had fine, good, yeah. I ate it. <laughs> there, was no, there was no stop sign. I didn't so know here we go. <laughs> that somebody had written my name on somebody else's burger. <laughs> the best part is, right before the show starts, <laughs> our producer Jay comes in, and I hear him saying it already. I can hear the murmuring out there. 
our our uh, graphics guy Tom is like, "Hey, uh, this isn't my hamburger that I ordered," and Jay goes, "Oh, that means Steve got the other one." He goes, "I'm telling you word for word, I'll go in and check, but I'll bet it's gone." <laughs> And he was 100% right. There was no sign of Tom's burger in this studio. Yeah, and then I had to see, too. Well, Tom, are you, are you going to eat that other one? or <laughs> Where's Because I'll eat what that one, too. What are you doing with too. my burger? I'll eat that one, too. Um, no, I... Uh, it yeah. was an innocent mistake. They mislabeled Absolutely. yours and, and Tom's lunches, and you inhaled Tom's lunch before he even realized he had the wrong burger. Oh, my gosh. Lesson okay. learned there. Yeah. Check all the boxes on the way in if you have anything remotely close to what Steve asked for for lunch. Because <laughs> if you hesitate, it will disappear in short order. You I, you are an American treasure when it comes I'm, to eating. Listen, i got to tell you. I, well, I, the, th I, the way I, I always get You know, I'm, the more I think about it, Steve, we got to get you in some competitive eating contests. Because no. I think you – bro. I – Steve – I think you're at that level. I am not at that level. I think you're at that level. You want to know why? Because <sighs> I've watched you, and this is how committed you are to eating fast. When you start eating, breathing is optional. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you are an impressive specimen. I think we should, I think we should start getting you in shape for a competitive eating contest because I think you – you know what we do next year – we get our good friend Drew Serza to enter you into the competitive eating contest. Oh. I think you, I think you could give Joey Chestnut a run for his money in in chicken wing eating. What do you think? No, no, no. Come on, no. Steve, I'm telling compete. you, I don't want you, to compete. I don't, you are I at least you're at least in the AAA area. Of, well, that's the I'm, best plan. So we get you in a competitive eating contest, and we starve you for like. 18 hours. Well, that's what it'll take. You will be so ravenous. That's oh, my gosh. Take. We, we got to – guys in the control room, we got to get to work on this. Uh, I don't want this to just go by the board as some happy com one-time conversation. I think we've got something here. Yeah, I don't know. I Because I felt, you know – You could be a competitive I always chalk eater. it up. I do eat, and I do it at home when it's just my wife and I sitting there for a leisurely supper. Yeah. I, could, I go. I could totally I, see I'm Sarah sitting there talking to you and – she looks down at your plate and everything's gone. There's another thing, too. If we're sitting, even with a family dinner, we've got this thing now where I need to be the one, like all, all the grandkids go through, all the daughter-in-laws go through, my sons go through, my wife goes through. Then I'll go through and get my food. Because once You're I get it, to sit down. once I get it, I'm eating it. So if I go through first, I'm done <laughs> before, like, anybody. Because I'm, I'm there to eat. This is why... Steve, I'm telling you. It's not. I think it's more I think of a patience you could be a competitive eater. Is. I think you could do it. I think it has more to do with my impatience than it does with my... Well, whatever the talent know. is, it's yeah. a talent. Yeah. I, we we got to look into this. I think we're going to have to start scouting out what might work best because I'm telling you, we starve you for 18 hours. People aren't even going to see what you eat. It's just going to... It's going to be like a blur. Yeah. Because I got to tell you, you're impressive. Not well, to say that there hasn't been an instance where my wife looks at my plate and says, seriously, were, were you going to do anything but eat here right. at the dinner table? You want to engage in conversation? So I'm just as guilty as you, but you've right. got me beat by a mile. 
I, I don't even come close to how quickly you eat. Um, but as, it, as we were saying, jam-packed show today. <laughs> Let's get on to football. Jam-packed show today <laughs> as uh, we sit two days away from what looks like it's going to be a rain-soaked affair in Baltimore on Sunday between the Bills and the Ravens, and we can talk about how the weather may impact the game. Ball security being the most important thing there. Yeah. But coming up in about 20 minutes or so, we have the latest edition of Tasker's Teammate. Second hour of the show, our good friend Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, joins us to break down the X's and O's. As you heard Steve and I discussing yesterday, the Ravens play an awful lot of 21 and 12 personnel. But as I was telling Steve yesterday, it is not your dad's 21 and 12 personnel. Right. They go empty in 21 personnel. <clears throat> they go empty in 12 personnel. No tight end is attached to the formation. It's right. a spread concept, 21 or 12 personnel. It's very interesting, and I really look forward to talking to they're Greg unique, Cosell about that. The unique offense um, in a lot of ways, and I'll say this too. Um, a lot of people always, every so often, especially the older crowd that's my age kind of thing, that they throw out that K-gun stuff and how, you know, why don't teams do that? This this offense for Baltimore is a little bit like the K-gun was back in the 90s because it's unique to anybody else. Now, certain teams do a little bit of it at times, but with Lamar running it, <clears throat> there's no magic elixir in football. For everything you do, there's an answer defensively. They've got it. But here's the thing. When you've got Lamar Jackson and – Anderson, and now DuVernay and Bateman. You've got some guys that can really run it with an offensive line that can go, although their offensive line is compromised right now. When they've got – when they're healthy, it's an offense that's really tough to match up with, and no matter what you do defensively, they have an answer for it with people, not just X's and O's. So it's a problem. And that's why, you know, that's why that, that offense way back in the day was good, and that's why this one's good. They got some guys – they have got some guys, and that's why Baltimore – and I said it before the season that they were – that's the team right there. They're the one that was not good last year that's going to be good this year. And, you know, so far it's true. So, yeah, that that's why th- I'm – this is going to be a heck of a battle this weekend. Yeah. We heard from Coach McDermott prior to today's practice, and he ruled out – Jordan Phillips from the game. Uh, he also ruled out a couple other players on Buffalo's injury list. Let me just pull them up because they're not. Uh, Christian Benford, obviously, who had the hand surgery this week, and Jay Kumaro, who has the high ankle sprain. He did not rule out Dane Jackson, who is practicing again today, and I will say did not have the red non-contact jersey on. And right. Coach McDermott even said in the press conference this morning that Dane Jackson is moving in the right direction to play Sunday. He's not a right. lock, but if he can be available, that would be huge for Buffalo's secondary because it does not look like Xavier Rhodes, who they just signed to the practice squad this week, is going to be available because he has a hamstring injury, right. suffered in practice this week. Yeah, that it's, uh, it's not a lock, but certainly um, it's amazing when you see what happened to Dane Jackson and uh, – the way his night ended against uh, was a Tennessee that he's back practicing, and then you, you know you've got guys that you don't see anything like the and I said this yesterday the Micah Hyde thing his his injury looked 
nondescript. Yeah, not very, nice. very inoffensive, very benign looking. Dane Jackson was just the opposite of that. Yeah. And of course, like we said, that's the the weirdness of NFL injuries. One guy, nothing happens and he's out for the year. The other yeah. guy looks like he's he may never play football again and he's back in a couple of weeks. The other bit of good news, Ryan Bates, who remains in concussion protocol as of right now, also did not have the red non-contact jersey on. Now you can get all the way to step five of the concussion protocol, which is full medical clearance, but still be in the protocol. So I'm not going to pretend to know exactly where he stands, but he's somewhere between step four and five, Steve, right. in the concussion protocol. So my, my best guess, and this is just a guess, because Bates practiced today, they will test him again tomorrow, baseline testing tomorrow after full activity at a practice. Right. Baseline test him tomorrow. If it is unchanged, then I think he could get full medical clearance as soon as tomorrow and possibly start or at least play in Sunday's game at his familiar right guard position. That would be right. a, a gigantic development. It would. As Plus, well. they get Bobby Hart off the off of the suspension, suspension list. list. So yep. they're going to be if Bates can go and Bobby Hart's there, you got to like Phew. you know, that's You can breathe a little bit. Yeah, you can breathe a little bit. Uh now the other the next question marks Mitch Morse. Um, yes, but he's practiced all week, albeit on a limited basis. Right. So we'll see what the Friday injury report tells us here. Hopefully before we're off the air, and we'll have it. Mitch is more of a – it's more about Mitch than it is any protocols or anything like that. It's how he well, feels. He's got an and, elbow right. deal, and um, it's his snapping arm. So right. So that's, that's the kind of – That's an issue. So we'll see how that goes. And then uh, you also have some other players, most notably Gabe Davis – he practiced on a limited basis Wednesday, then did not practice Thursday because he aggravated his ankle in practice Wednesday. So they said, you know what, just sit today and we'll see how you are Friday. So he practiced today, Friday, and practice is already over today. They usually start earlier and end earlier on Fridays. And he was in the locker room and he told Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic that he's playing on Sunday. Said right. it, his ankle felt good in practice. He's playing on Sunday. Whether it's 100% is a whole other story. But it's apparently good enough for him to play on. So his intention is to play on Sunday. So that's good news. Now, Steve, there is this bad ankle. Well, I shouldn't say bad ankle. An ankle that's not 100% on a wet field. You know, you're trying to yeah. run routes, stick that foot in the ground, if the ground gives out from underneath you, you could re-aggravate that pretty easily, could yeah. you not? Yeah. Yes, and it's obvious the way that works is, you know, you, you run around during practice all week and all the footing is sure and everything. You get to where if, if your foot falls the way it's expected to on a hard surface in your cleat and it's taped and all that, you can kind of get around and do your thing. The problem is when something unexpected happens, when you stumble or when it slips – and your cleats sort of grab but don't grab, and the ankle takes the brunt of the extra stress, then that's unexpected, and then you don't know if it's going to be able to hold up under that. That's the yeah. problem. And under, under field conditions like what they're looking like on Sunday, you think, well, Gabe goes out there, and all of a sudden halfway through the first quarter, he's done. You don't want to get into a position like that. Yeah. So hopefully – That's not just for Gabe, but for the roster. Well, for everybody, yeah. Right. <clears throat> Bill's practice updates are presented by LeeCom, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. We go around the NFL here quickly. 
which is presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we'd be remiss if we did not address Thursday night football, game won by the Bengals, handing the Dolphins their first loss of the season, 27-15. Obviously, the headline story coming out of that game was Tua Tonga-Vailoa's second concussion in five days because the Dolphins can say whatever the hell they want about last week's game. Tua had a concussion. Um, I was there at the game. I saw him as soon as he hit the ground. And that that frightening and horrible-looking frozen pose, which has a name for it that you gave us last night on text, Steve. I wasn't even aware of that. The, the, fencing fencing, pose. the fencing pose. Yeah. Um, last night he had that for an extended period of time after he got hit. I can tell you he did that for a split second in Miami last week when Milano knocked him down and he hit his head on the turf. And then everybody saw him drop to his knees a couple of times. The Dolphins pawned it off as a lower back injury, including after the game in the postgame press conferences by Tua and head coach Mike McDaniel. He plays four days later, and his head barely hit the turf. He got whipped around. And I heard on one of the sports networks this morning, they had a neurological uh, surgeon on, and he said, after you've already had one concussion, the ability to get a second one takes far less strain or impact. And he said, if I had to guess, the concussion happened as he was whipped around by the Cincinnati pass rusher yesterday not even after he hit the ground. He said, if you've already had one concussion and then you have a violent act, like even getting whipped around, no contact and no running into a wall or anything, you can get a concussion that way. Yeah. I, Where was the ambulance last night? Why did they have to wheel him all the way off the field? We saw Dane Jackson here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. The ambulance <clears throat> comes on the field for serious stuff. What the heck was Cincinnati doing with that? Yeah. No ambulance on the field. Yeah, that's not. That's uh, common, isn't it? I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yes, you're right. I do not know why that is. I'll say this: I'm, I've had I had multiple concussions as a pro as a pro football player. I had three concussions as a collegiate, and I had a concussion. My first concussion ever was when I was eight years old, and I got you know I was it was a that was probably as significant a concussion I ever had when I was eight. Mm. My experience has been with concussions, and I know this from talking to other guys who have had them too, like, uh, you know, Al Toon. Uh, oh, my God, he had about six or seven. Right, and so had did, so did uh, uh, the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Merle, oh, Merrill Hodge. Merrill Hodge. Who's a friend? I consider him a friend of mine. He his career he was to ended. retire. Yeah, his hand, his career was ended by uh, multiple concussions. When you get one and you come back too soon or are not healed and get another one, that the ones the subsequent concussions that happen after the first one, if you're not completely healed, it takes less force to give you another concussion of the same magnitude or worse. It takes less force. Right, and there's a cumulative effect and there's, too when they're in close succession. Right, that's right. It gets worse and worse and worse. So. What happens too, and I heard the symptoms are I heard worse the, and the recovery is second hand from Altoon. You sneeze and you can go back to your concussion. Oh my gosh. I mean, it literally gets it gets so easy to get a concussion because you haven't had a chance to fully recuperate from the last one. And we all we all saw Tua on Sunday in the Bills game get up and stagger. And it's my understanding mm-hmm. and it's 
uh, that if a guy gets up and staggers like that, that's a no-go. For the doctors that, and for the, the doctors, medical staff. That is an absolute, that's it. If he's, if he's disoriented like that from a, head, from a parent head trauma, that's a, a non-negotiable out. Yeah, he cannot, cannot return to that he goes game. right into the protocols yep. right then. Now, what happened was, as we all know, Tua said, well, I stumbled because of my back hurt. My head's fine. And, and as we've seen, players can come out of it pretty quickly on the surface level where they can be cognizant, they can answer questions, they can give you feedback, and they can do all that. But in reality, they do have a concussion. A brain injury, yeah. Yeah, brain injury. So that's why when they display symptoms of the kind Tua displayed last Sunday, it's a non-starter because that takes his feedback out of it because the player will lie to stay on the field. He's got his friends, he's got his family, he's got his teammates, his coaches. He's invested himself into this game. He doesn't want to leave. He feels responsible and obligated to continue if he can, and you feel like you can. So that's why the protocols are in place. So if a guy shows the symptoms that Tua Tonga-Vailoa showed on Sunday against the Bills, he's out no matter what, no matter what he says. Yeah. Now, think back to the Jacksonville playoff game for the Buffalo Bills after the drought had ended. At the end of that game, Tyrod got hit, and he had to come out. And that cost the Bills a chance to win a playoff game because Nathan Peterman goes in. It's over. Mm-hmm. The Bills pulled him out. It was no, there was no, well, I don't know. It seems okay. Yeah, no. like this is our first playoff game in 17 years. This, Get him back in the game. Right, no. They didn't do that. And so that was done. Uh, there are other instances as well. Two years ago or four, uh, when Julian, uh, Julian Edelman for the New England Patriots. Yeah. Got hit, took a hard hit on the field, and then stayed down dead as a doornail for a couple of seconds. Now, he did that to try and draw a penalty. By the letter of the law, he should have been out of the game. Because the assumption was he was knocked out cold? Because he was trying to get him to think he was knocked out cold and think it was a worse hit than it was, try and get a flag by the, by the officials. He didn't leave the game. That should be a non-starter as well there, too. But that's the other side of the story. He's faking it, and it turns out it's yeah. true. He was faking it. No matter what he says, at least it looks like he was faking it. Yeah. So if he was faking it, that's what you're up against. So a guy who comes in and says, you know, I was trying to get a penalty, he's out too. So that's the double-edged sword of this. That's why these protocols, you, you, you got to follow them. Here's the other thing that bothered me. That I learned this morning, you know, turning ESPN on at Sports Center to try to get updates on what happened with Tua after the game. Right. They reported Jeremy Fowler was at the game and he was there in the morning and he was reporting that Tua flew home with the team. Oh yeah. And that's not surprising. Yeah, but two concussions in five days, a pressurized environment like an airplane, is that always a good thing for someone that's had two concussions in five days? I I know. I listen. You know, I'm, 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 I'm just asking. I'm not I'm, I'm not, not a doctor. That doesn't surprise me. I'm not condemning them for it. I'm just wondering, like it's the is same that always thing. Good? If he, listen, if he would have had a compound fracture of his femur, he might have gone back on the plane. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm just one of those things. They they get those guys home because the uh, I'm just telling you but that, I uh, this is the worst case scenario for the Dolphins medical team. And yeah. they deserve everything that's coming at them on this one. Yeah. Whether two is to blame for it ultimately or not by saying, I'm fine, I'm going back in the game, don't, don't well, shut me out of this game. It was a no-go bottom line as soon as he stumbled on the field. 
And you got that is guys- a neurological issue. And it's an automatic no-go, not, cannot return to that game. And there are open conversations in locker rooms across the NFL about guys who have had it and come back. And they have conversations about what they, you know, you're, you're, out there, you're joking around, sitting around the locker room, you know, just hanging out for a minute. And guys go, hey, what'd they do? What'd they, what questions do they ask you? And they say, well, they asked me what time the game started. You know, because guys kind of find that a little bit humorous at times. Like, like what time the game start? What was the what score? What day is it? What day is it? You know, da, 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 all that stuff. So they kind of ask questions and they have conversations about how those protocols go. And invariably, somebody comes in and says, listen, if you got, here's what you got to do. You got to tell them it's your back. It's not your head. You got to tell them it's this and not that. You got to tell them that to stay in the game. The conversation is about how to stay in the game, not how to basically how to answer the questions to cheat on the protocol. That's exactly right. The players want to know how they can stay in the game, and that's that's it. Because I'll say this too. But the reason that's so messed up is because the independent neurological consultant and the medical guy that works for the team, they are there to specifically protect the player from himself. And they both fail. They both have to agree that the symptoms don't justify sending him back in the game. So both of them them had to say, yeah, okay, he's good. Both of them. Yeah. Because if one says no, he he doesn't go back. That's right. They both had to say, yeah, he's good to play. Yeah. So despite the league's efforts to have an independent neurological consultant to act as an unbiased party – to act as the last line of defense to protect a player from himself and from any intentions the team might have that are nefarious, it still failed, at least with the Dolphins in in this this case. In this case, like I mentioned with the Bills, it's the playoff game, last game of the season, you know, losing to go home, 2017. Uh, Think about the Dolphins, the fix they were in. If Tua goes into the concussion protocol on last Sunday, he's out no matter what for the game on Thursday. There's not enough time to go through the protocols. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, it'd be very hard, yes. I would say highly unlikely. And as we saw, probably should have been held out. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, and it's they, easy, but... And I think we can say they don't win that game against the Bills on Sunday. The first series that Teddy Bridgewater was out there, he got sacked and they punted. And then all of a sudden, Tua was back in the game after that. Right. Um so instead of being three and one, they're probably yeah, two and, and two. I'll say this though: at this point, if you know, yeah, the, the outcome of games irrelevant. Two is sitting there with a the fencer's pose, out, and you know his mom and dad are there, his family's there. He's on he's on national TV it's just, now. It's really it's be, bad all the way around. It's it's so bad. It's so it looks so bad. Um. And just so you know, yeah. the penalties for violation of proper concussion protocol, basically what the league does for a first-time offense is they put that team's medical staff in um, remedial training, and the team is fined $150,000. I'm just going to ask, if you're to his family, is that enough? Is that enough of a punishment for a, for two brain injuries in five days for your kid? Because for me, like it's know, not. I'd like to know if his family knew that it wasn't a, that it wasn't a concussion. Well, whether you know Tua I mean? kept him in the dark or not, the whole point of the INC and the team's medical staff is to protect the player from himself. 
and they failed on both counts, and that's the problem. And I know NFL Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Sills, who pretty much shepherded us all through the COVID situation the last two years, he said Tua was checked for concussion symptoms every day since Sunday. He said that an independent neurological consultant had to clear him, which he did, and that was, in my eyes, a failure. Once their review of everything that took place with the Dolphins organization medically, full results will be released publicly. So it looks like the league is trying to be transparent with this, but I don't see how that independent neurological consultant survives this. I think he is dismissed in short order. Yeah, you got to think about this. So they're pl- the, the independent guy, I think, is paid for by the union, right, or something like that. It's paid by – not by the league – paid before by the union, the players' union. Right. But the league now apparently is investigating. Listen, listen if, you're a neuro, if you're a neuroscientist or what, you know, yeah. if you're a doctor of that caliber, what are they paying you? 1500 bucks a game? 2000 2500 bucks a game? I couldn't say. I don't know. What are they paying him? They're paying you an hourly rate? If you're a, if you're a prominent doctor – in South Florida or in Buffalo or in Green Bay or whatever, 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 and you're the independent guy, that brings you a, a lot of maybe benefit where you can say, I'm their guy. That's fine. But you ain't getting paid enough to think, you know, all right, I'm doing not to do what the team wants you to do. Yeah. If you're a local guy. I mean, that's that's paid for by them. They're paying them, like, seriously. They're paying him. I wouldn't change. pretend to know, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I get it. Uh, we do have to take a break here, and we will shift gears because when we return, it's the latest installment of Tasker's teammate. We'll see if Steve can guess who we are describing who used to play with him on your Buffalo Bills. That's next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. It is that time here on a Friday for Tasker's Teammate, presented by Wegmans Meals to Go. Delicious meals delivered. Download the Wegmans app today. Steve, are you ready? I am. Clue number one for Tasker's Teammate. Born in Rome, Georgia in 1972. Played my high school ball for the Pepperell Dragons in Lindale, Georgia. That was his high school ball? Oh, yeah. The Pepperell Rome, Dragons. Rome, Georgia. Wow, I got me. Don't know. All right. That's a good Clue one. number two. I accepted a scholarship to Memphis University for college ball. I was a three-year starter, and much like Steve, also spent some time on special teams. In addition to getting some opportunities as a punt returner, I am most famously known for blocking four punts in one game in a 22-6 win over Arkansas, breaking the all-time NCAA record of three, which was set back in 1942. How do I not, like, immediately know who that is? Okay. All right. Four punts. And college was Memphis? Yes. Not Russell Copeland. It is not. And he's got to be at least 10 years younger than me. He's born in 72. Right. So he's a young guy. Okay, go ahead. 
Clue number three. My college exploits, which included five interceptions in my career, made me a fourth-round pick of the Bills in 1995. What? Did you hear that? Fourth-round pick in 1995. I started three games as a rookie. It's injuries at my position thrust me into the lineup. Oh, gosh. Um, Do you have an idea on a position here? Got to be a corner or safety. Could be a linebacker. Sam Rogers. It is not Sam Rogers. Gabe Northern. It is not Gabe uh, Northern. It's not Jeff Burris. It is not Jeff Burris. I'm going to go to the next clue. Yeah, go to the next clue. After three seasons with Steve as a teammate, I became a full time starter in my fourth season, starting opposite fellow starter Thomas Smith. So now you know the position. Uh, Kirby Jackson. Not Kirby Jackson. Um, I'm I'm on it. Uh, hold on. Wait. Uh, no, I don't know. Okay. So you have the position. All right. You know he was your teammate for the last three years of your career. Right, right, right. Last four years. Oh, wait. 95, 96, 97, okay, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 96. Oh, man. Okay, go go ahead. Give me another. I would I would play for the Bills for seven seasons. Oh my gosh! With my last coming in two thousand one, before I signed with New Orleans in free agency. Hmm. New Orleans. I should get this. Oh, Kenny Irvin. It is Kenny Irvin. Correct. Correct. Kenny Kenny Irvin. Irvin. Kenny Kenny Irvin. And we got Kenny on the line here. Oh, yeah. Kenny! What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Steve? How you doing? I'm doing great. (laughs) He was sweating it out there for a little bit. I don't want to go too deep into the clues because then they just, you know. How you do? What are you? What are you? What are you doing, man? What are you doing these days? Are you coaching? Man, I am here here in Atlanta. I've been coaching here for the last 15 years or so as a community coach, just trying to get my fix and um and been doing that and being a been a dad in real estate and just trying to trying to keep things moving, man. Awesome, man. Where are you coaching? Um, at a school called Great Atlanta Christian here in Atlanta, Georgia, where my kids mm. went to school. So, Very nice. Uh, I'm an empty net. We the empty nesters now. Both of my kids are one is a junior in college, my other was graduated. So, man, we we're I'm enjoying the life. Now, that's man. about right. Yeah, so, we're empty nesters too. That's good. That's awesome. I I did not remember you had blocked four punts in a game. Yep, that's kind of like what 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 my kind of special team niche was. It kind of as a rookie. Uh, no, actually, I was a freshman at Memphis, and I, to 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 this day, Steve, I honestly like it's impossible to block the same punt four times from the same exact position. And change the punter and the kicker, and them not realize that it was their scheme. It's like right. it was just right. it's unheard of. Yeah. So, yeah, that's unbelievable, though. Um, Kenny, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you you coached a current member of the Bills practice squad. Kyler McMichael is on the um, Bills practice squad right now. You coached him at Greater Atlanta Atlanta Christian School, right? Absolutely, I did. I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, 
I told him once he got picked up by the Bills, like like Bills Mafia is it's nothing like it, and and he's excited to be there. Um, looking forward for the opportunity. You know, obviously the new management there; those guys spent a, a great deal of time in developing their players, just like with Benford and all those guys. I mean, uh, 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 D. Jackson. Um, it's it's a, it's amazing what they're doing. So he's in a good position. He's a heck of a talent. And I'm excited to see that he's got his foot in the door up there. How long has it been since you've been back to Buffalo? Oh, I was back in Buffalo this summer in July. I came to the uh, the little the golf tournament for the uh, NFL, the uh, uh, the one we had over there at by the airport. Um, the last oh yeah, there, NFL at the, players at the uh, alumni tournament. At, the at, alumni uh, tournament, absolutely. At Diamond Hawk mm-hmm. Golf Tournament. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's uh, that's one they always yep. have there. Yeah, I'm. They always have that, and I can never make it because I'm on the job. They have it on a That's right. Weekend, so they have it right yeah. during the day. Yeah, yeah. You can never make it. Awesome. Yeah. Kenny, um, yep. you, so you went to New Orleans for one season, and then you finished up in Minnesota, correct? Um, New Orleans or Minnesota? You finished up in Minnesota your oh, last right. couple of years, right? Like, yeah. So you got, yes, you, got back, yes. you got back with Antoine Winfield and, and Pat Williams up there, right? Didn't, weren't they on the team then up there in Minnesota? Yes, actually, yep, they were. Both of those guys were there. I, I think Antoine came. Yeah, Antoine came after me as a free agent when he left Buffalo to Minnesota. And I think Pat Williams came. He may have been at a year before, or kind of. He may have came a year or two right after I was there. But yeah. yes, I played with those guys for a couple of years while I was in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, you were part of uh, the number one defense in '99, uh, which you know the Bills finally duplicated last year. And I don't know if you saw this, but right around, right before, right at the end of training camp, Ted Cottrell came down to practice and we got a picture of him and Leslie Frazier, the two coordinators who are the last two DCs to have the number one defenses. But what was that 99 year like? I know they couldn't run the ball on you guys at all back in 99, but what do you remember about that year when, when you guys really locked it down on defense? I mean, it, it just it was just a, a great group of guys. I mean, with Henry Jones, Kurt Schultz, Bruce Smith. I mean, you go on and on the list. It was, you know, it my job as a as a young guy was just kind of being there, you know, do my job, understand what the game plan was. But, but I mean, it was it was it was so surreal in that year and what we were able to do and accomplish. Um, and it's just a testament to Coach Cottrell and, and trusting us and, and us growing together and and putting all the pieces together and to see it come to fruition on the field was was a good good part of being able to say that you was a part of a number one team, a number one ranked defense in the NFL it says a lot. And, um, you know, we talk about that all the time still. So it's, it's good. It was good. Well, Kenny, you, you I got to yeah. tell you, you look the same. I recognize you now because <laughs> I see you. Um, it's great to talk to you. I'm glad you're here. You're doing well. Good luck with your kids. I'm glad you're an empty nester like I am. It doesn't make me feel all that much older. So I appreciate it. It's good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on with us. No problem, guys. I appreciate you having me. I have a blessed day. All right. You too, Kenny. You too, Thanks Kenny. for joining us. That's Kenny Irvin, former Bills cornerback and former teammate of one Stephen A. Tasker. Um, yeah, I remember when Kenny kind of came in right when I started covering the team. And so – I kind of saw his career was getting off the ground as mine was. And I remember I used to go to him a lot just as a young guy in that locker room. Um, and he, I mean, that was a good group on the back end there. I mean, he already mentioned a couple of the guys, Henry Jones, Kurt Schultz. And then yeah. you had Thomas Smith 
Antoine came in as a young guy, as a first-round pick, right. and he was playing nickel. Mm-hmm. So you had Thomas Thomas Smith and Kenny Irvin on the outside, and then Antoine in the nickel. That was pretty good top three corners had, on Henry the Henry Jones was as good a safety as well, the right. teams ever had. And uh, – uh, and Kurt Schultz was a was a big time hitter, big dude too. So yeah, they had a, they had a crew back there. It always helps when you've got, you know, Pat Williams, and Bruce up front, and Ted, and and Ted. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, you ain't running on that crew. So Ted Cottrell and Wade Phillips, they were playing a, th- a three four. So right. Pat was Ted's backup, but Pat was doing so well in practice. Mm-hmm. Wade's like, we got to get him on the field somehow. And so they would put them both on the field at the same time on first and 10 with Bruce or with Phil. I mean, good yeah. luck running on that group. My, yeah. And they called it the package. That when, yeah. Whenever, whenever te, uh, Ted and Pat were on the field at the same time, Wade called it the package. Those I was guys, like, that's a pretty large package. Yeah, those, <laughs> guys, yeah, those guys, Ted Washington is, was probably – He's an immovable force. He's in the, he's in the top – He's in the conversation for the absolute best defensive line run stuffer of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely in he that conversation. For Twenty years. Absolutely in the top. Yeah. He may be the guy, the best run stuffer as a no, as a defensive tackle of all time. Um, At a time he, when they ran the ball. Right, and now he struggled to get after the passer, which is why this, which is the only reason he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Because he was never outside the top five in run defense on any defense he ever played in. And he was the reason. Yeah. Uh, and then he put Pat Williams beside him. Yeah, it's just like it's a, it's a moot point. Yeah, forget running it. It's Whatever over. running game you've got, it's a moot point. <laughs> so. All right, good addition to Tasker's teammate there. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get to your thoughts from the Friday fan mailbag. We also have Tailgate Friday. What do you have on the menu this week? For Bills at Ravens. Anybody cooking up some crab cakes? We need to know. We'll check in next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And it is time for Tailgate Friday, presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York, the official health care plan of the Buffalo Bills. And speaking of plans, we read your plans for tailgating in advance of Sunday's game between the Bills and the Ravens. This one from George. Chevetta wings on the smoker. How about that? Pretty good. I... I, I don't think, you know, even though Buffalo is known for both wings and Chevettas, I have never seen I've them combined it. and on the smoker. It's a great idea. I would be very interested to see how those turn out. You get a little char. I'm not even hungry and I want to eat those. You get a little char on them, you know? Oh, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm oh, going to try it. That would be good. Excellent submission there by somebody, George. Somebody do that for us. <laughs> I'm not sure. Rachel chimes in and says, We will be camping chili, stuffed banana peppers, and cheesy bread, all cooked over an open fire, washed down with some Oktoberfest. Well done there. Very nice. That, yeah, that's a camping. Thing. That is a strong that, fall camping menu. That is far from roughing it. 
It is not. That might be considered glamping. That's glamping. Quite, I don't know, quite well, no matter what, how you're sleeping, that's glamping. I'm actually making some chili tonight. Are you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting it rolling, Steve. There you go, man. It's, it t- is, it's time. It, it, it's chili season. When it's, it was like 37 last night. At the Did it get that low? That's where it was over in EA. Yeah. Wow. It was down, it's down in the low 40s at night, so it's definitely that time of year for chili. Yeah. From Faucha, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, at home for the game, probably making homemade pizzas. Okay. If you make your own crust, I guess you're Italian. You kind of uh, have to, right? Yeah. 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 And I roll it real thin, too. You like thin? Yeah. Well, New York. Like New York I'm style? New York. Yeah. Yeah. I New get York it. style pizza. See, I'm like that. I'm kind of like that, too. I'm I make thin... the margarita now, though, because I'm growing oh, basil really? in my backyard. Oh, yeah. With the uh, raw mozzarella and stuff. Well, yeah, well, well you throw that on, yeah. and then that's melted. Yeah. But yeah. you just throw little discs of right. mozzarella on there, all cut off the ball, and, you know, and just drop that all on there. Then you cook it. And then you put the basil on after. Right. Um, nice. But I got basil growing in yeah, my I'm, garden. It's almost uh, dead now. Yeah, but. I'm a thin crust guy, too. I'm, I'm not a bread guy. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, homemade pizzas are the way to go. Steve chimes in with crab cakes this week. Steve, I, I am very mixed on the whole crab cake scene. I've been to Baltimore for games. Yeah, in the me press too. Box. I've, I've gotten the VIP treatment where they bring, you know, they got them and you bring them in. I am, I'm a hard no. Yeah, and I am a no too, and I'm going to tell you why. I want to say it was 2007, 8, 9, somewhere in there. You get a bad crab cake. <laughs> I am in the press box. They're serving crab cakes at halftime. Right. They look perfectly They're, good. Yeah. It went down real easy. I'm on the stay there. I'm on the plane ride home, and my stomach's talking to me. Yeah. Like. I got you. It's basically telling me that was a mistake. Now, fortunately, I did get home before I got sick, but right. it was all yeah. because of the crab cake. Um, yeah, crab so cakes, I'm a little mixed on crab cakes. It's a little bit. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm not a. Crab not a huge cake fan guy. of them. Now I I know there are people who love them, and I get it. Okay, cool, that's fine. I'm, but I'm not. I'm not a fan. I think the edibility of the crab cake is completely dependent on the sauce that you dip it in. You yeah. know that orange. What is? What do they call that sauce for crab cakes? Tartar sauce. Is it like a I don't know. spice tarter or something? I don't, know. I don't even know. But, yeah, crab cakes are, you know, I, I can do without them, and I'm fine, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Jack, our last submission for Tailgate Friday, had to work for both primetime games. So that's week one and week two. Went to Miami for week three. Looking forward to drinking Oktoberfest and eating chili while watching in my garage. I think that's going to be a very – popular approach it, number one it's october so people are cracking open those number two as we said it's chilly season yes so it's time and it's it's good too because we just got the right amount of chili i mean like coolness in the air yeah, for crisp. this game it's right crisp. everybody's like oh you know what's my so yeah yeah let's do it for the game it's perfect timing it's perfect timing so but the october fest is yeah that's the easy go-to and um yeah, it's just uh, this home game. You, you got a road game in Baltimore. Not really the destination that Miami is, or the tradition traditional stop for Miami game. This is kind of the, he's right. For the first one, you get a Sunday afternoon at one where you're not. Most people didn't go to the game, but still, yeah, it's a nice. Uh, it's a nice setup, I think, for this. And chili is the by far the favorite. Now, do you when you make chili? Well, you got a big family, so you probably always make a lot. In my house. Me and my son are the only ones that eat chili. Yeah. But I still make at least two pounds worth. 
And then yeah. if I have a lot left over, I'll freeze some of it. And then I'll leave the rest make, in the fridge for leftovers and have it for lunch I make, the next when day. When I make or, it, yeah, when I make it in those situations, it's you, it's a vat of chili. Yeah. And then uh, what I'll have to do sometimes is pull out a, a, a smaller pan, just dip out a, a, into a smaller yeah, saucepan yeah. the, for the for the um, lightweights who don't like it spicy. And then I throw in I throw in the habaneros and the jalapenos and the you know the hot stuff. Yeah. So I I make really two batch, one small batch that's a little bit medium or less, and then I I throw in the the hot stuff hmm. in the big vat. So that is Tailgate Friday, presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York, the official health care plan of the Buffalo Bills. Speaking of health, Mike McDaniel is addressing the media in his day after press conference, and as you might expect, he is being grilled on the concussion situation involving Tua. And I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. These are courtesy of our good friend Armando Salguero from Outkick.com. And McDaniel apparently said, quote, I have, a, I have 100% conviction in our process regarding our players. I wouldn't have put him out there if there was any indication the previous hit Sunday could affect last night. Second comment from him on why the team felt comfortable playing Tua. Quote, there was no medical indication from all resources. If there would have been anything lingering with his head, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I prematurely put someone out there in harm's way. Well, then all I can tell you is your medical team failed you. That's all I can tell you. Well, so did your own eyes. Yeah. I mean, good grief. The guy, uh, yeah. Uh, it's easy to go back and second guess because there's no, nothing that says Tua might have gotten a concussion last Sunday and then skated through the game last night unscathed and we all forget about it and go on, we go on with our lives. But the simple fact of the matter is he didn't. And that's why the protocols are in place exactly for this scenario. And you didn't get lucky. And you got a quarterback now. And and it was I heard this and I kind of poo-pooed it at first, but it's really true. If this was Tua, it's one thing. What if it was, you know, the backup wide receiver? What if it was a backup tight end? What if it was a guard? Uh, a backup guard or somebody. You think they play that guy? Are they as careful with him or as uncareful with him as they were with their starting quarterback? I don't know if you get the same answer. Yeah. Speaking of concussion protocol, and I'll give credit where it is due again, uh, Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic spoke to Ryan Bates in the locker room. As we mentioned, he was practicing out there today without a red non-contact jersey, and he said that Ryan Bates told him he is out of the concussion protocol and prepared to play on Sunday. For the Bills. So that's an update there. Final thing, ESPN's Kimberly Martin was talking to John Harbaugh, Baltimore Ravens head coach. She asked him about concussions, and Harbaugh said he was, quote, astonished by what he saw last night with Tua and added that he could not believe what he saw last week either. It's nice to know there's a voice of reason out there somewhere. Well, there's more than one, and yeah. none of, and I get it too. I mean, 31 teams are going to pile on the Dolphins right now, and you know, I think try, they should. Um, Sorry, the the simple fact of the matter is, when the guy got up and staggered after never grabbing his back, never going back to where it hurt, never grabbing it or thinking that it might be a back injury or anything other than the head injury, when he when right when it happened, he reached up to his head and his face mask to try and you know steady himself and shook his head 
twice when he got up once and then took a couple of steps and, and shook it again and then staggered to the ground. All of that that I just described in the protocols that I'm thinking about and the way I understand it is a absolute disqualification for that game. Guy can't play anymore. Yeah. Period. End of. It's not even a question. It's known as a no go. A no go. Cannot go any further in that game. But yet, one series later, he missed three plays. Yeah, one series later, he's back in like nothing happened. We have to take a break here. When we come back, second hour of the show will be kicked off by our good friend, senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell, to join us and discuss the X's and O's of this matchup between the Bills and the Ravens. He's coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Friday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And join now, making his weekly appearance, the senior producer from NFL Films and also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. It is the one and only Greg Cosell doing his Chris Collinsworth slide-in here on a Friday. Uh, how we doing, Greg? I'm doing okay, guys. How are you? We're Pretty good. We're, we're on the mend here. We're 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 healing up the roster. We we've got our band aids ready, and yeah, Brownie's uh, trying to patch this thing together. Yeah, and Brownie's out of the concussion protocol. That's so right. It's good. Yeah. How, how's how's Bill's mafia doing? I want to make sure everybody's they're, okay. I think they're okay for the most part. I haven't seen them take yeah. a loss this much in stride in a long time because they they realize that there was you know with the roster depletion of the heat exhaustion on top of losing guys during the game, and the fact that you know. They still had chances to win it at the end. I, I'm. They were pretty much like, okay, we were gonna, we weren't gonna go 17 and 0 anyway. Um, let's just get it, move on. Well, crazy game. I felt like I had to stay hydrated just watching it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was oppressive, yeah. like to a man. Like we were talking. There's a lot of South Florida guys on this Bills roster, and a lot of them said that is in the top two of the hottest games they have ever played in, and they're from there. So, like Greg, right, Rousse right. Greg Rousseau, for example, you know, who played at Miami, is from Miami. He's like, yeah, that was top two hottest game I've ever played in. So it was, it was oppressive, for sure. But let's let's move ahead to this week's game, <clears throat> Greg. And incidentally, Greg Cosell's weekly segment presented by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. Steve and I have been discussing all week, Greg, how the Ravens play a good deal of 12 and 21 personnel, but it's not your dad's 12 and 21 personnel. I'm watching them start the game last week. They're in 21, and it's an empty set in the backfield. Um, it's not well, maybe conventional 21 or 12 all the time. No, and I think that's the one of the really fascinating elements to this game, guys. You know, through three games, the Ravens have only played 17 snaps with three wide receivers on the field. Yeah. And they play with Patrick Ricard, a, a large, a relatively large percentage of snaps. And he is really 
even though he's an eligible receiver, they play with a guy who's really not a factor at all as a as a production player. So it's a different offense than you face pretty much every week in the league and therefore a totally different week of preparation for the defense. And, you know, I think when you add in the fact that Lamar is such an explosive athlete in the run game, and, and I'm talking the designed run game right now, it just becomes a, a difficult week of prep. Now, obviously, in the playoffs a few years ago, they beat them and they, they held them without a touchdown. But I've, it's a new year. Everything's different. Um, so it's just different. And you can't really simulate Lamar Jackson's speed and explosiveness in practice, no matter who your scout team players are. So this is a challenge. You know, it's and and they're throwing the ball well enough that really it, um, works with their run game. Uh so we'll see. I mean, this is not an easy game. Right. I, I, one of the things I mentioned earlier in the show was that a lot of people call in this show, and the old, the old Kagan offense was unique. Yeah, sure, they went 11 personnel more than anybody. They went really fast, and they did all that stuff. But it was, I, I thought it was unique more importantly because they had a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame running back, and two Hall of Fame wide receivers. Now, I'm not putting that, that – I'm not putting those <laughs> labels on the Baltimore offense, but it's unique – the way they run it, and it's maybe not Hall of Fame guys yet, but they got some guys that can really run that offense well. And not only is it well, unique in that respect, they've got some talented guys running it. Yeah, it seems to me, I mean, again, I'm simplifying, but that's, you know, and obviously there's many variables and coaches, coach details and nuance and subtlety that, you know, I certainly don't know about because I'm not in the meetings and probably would take too long to discuss even if we knew about them. But it seems to me when you play the, the Ravens, there's a couple of things you have to deal with. You have to deal with the designed run game of Lamar Jackson. Now, you always hear the words um, discipline, assignment, football. Those are all true. Those words are out there for a reason. But you have to deal with that. Then the other thing, the second thing you have to deal with is Mark Andrews because he is clearly far and away the number one target and he runs free a lot. And one reason he runs free is because of the Lamar Jackson run game element. And then the third thing you have to make sure doesn't just break your will is the second reaction improvisational runs by Lamar. So those three things are really what their offense is. And you're not going to stop it on every single play, obviously, but you can't let that be the, the deciding factor in the game. And if it is the deciding factor in the game, then you're going to have a tough time. Right. Talk to me. I mean, we know about the pass-catching exploits of Mark Andrews, Greg, but Isaiah likely is an intriguing additional option. Yep. Would you – he doesn't strike me as a traditional tight end in any sense of the word. I'm not saying he's Mike Gesicki, but is he – would you call him like – a tight receiver. He's kind of a hybrid. He is. Well, he was a he was a detached player at Coastal Carolina, right. Brownie. So he's not a, a traditional attached tight end. In fact, Andrews truly isn't either. There are times Andrews will be attached, but he's not really a traditional tight end in that sense either. So you made a really good point at the start. They'll they'll play with two tight ends, likely in Andrews. They'll play, you know, sometimes with three tight ends. Um, but they rarely line up in a way that would be considered conventional or normal based on, you know, football history. So they could, like you said, they can be an empty out of 12 personnel with Andrews and likely they can be an empty out of any personnel package. 
Um, and by the way, spreading the field because the Lamar run game element comes into play there too, because the defense has to spread out. So yeah, likely is he plays, I guess, about 20 snaps a game, 22 snaps a game, but he's kind of a, I wouldn't call him a big wide out because he's not quite that explosive, but he does have wide receiver elements to his game more than a traditional tight end. How do most defenses treat those tight ends? Do they treat them as wide outs or do they make, do, you know, do you have defenses making wholesale personnel changes against these guys or do they kind of get set and just go? Well, the biggest, the biggest question that you face as a defense is how do you want to match up to the size versus the speed, okay? Right. Because obviously they play Ricard, who's a 300-pound, essentially a 300-pound offensive you know, lineman, okay? But he's on the field a lot. And then you have two tight ends. So the big question you have, and it may not be a question for the Bills, but that teams normally have is, are we going to play base because of the size, or are we going to play nickel because of the speed of Lamar? Because the bigger guys you have on the field, the slower they are. So uh, what is your thought on this? I mean, th- we know that the Bills are a nickel defense. That's what they are and have been for a number of years. I would think they would stay with that and play for the speed and not the size. Yeah, yeah. I think you got to keep a lid on them. and not and The big play is what kills you in these games. And I think, you know, to do that, you got to keep as much speed on the field as you can. They do have one. And, and I'm sorry, Brownie, but I was just going to say, and Johnson, to me, we've talked about him numerous yeah. times. He's an aggressive, competitive, physical player. He's a good tackler in the box. I mean, you can line him up. There have been plenty of snaps this season where he's essentially, if you didn't know who he was, he just looked like, you know, a linebacker. Yeah. Right. And, and Harbaugh was even throwing bouquets out yesterday about Taron Johnson. Uh, and and what he means to Buffalo's defense and how they're able to stay in nickel as much as they do. The only way I could see that changing is if, for some reason, they're getting gashed in the run game and they want to put a third linebacker on the field. And a guy who's kind of an interesting option for them is the rookie, Terrell Bernard, because he's only about 225 as a linebacker, and he has coverability, so – if you want to turn to him to maybe get a little bit more beef on the field, I don't think you lose. He doesn't cover like Taron Johnson, but he can cover, I guess is what I'm saying, more than maybe a true base linebacker would. More than, let's say, Dotson last year, right. who you know was the third linebacker when they did go to a third linebacker. Um, you know, one question is, too, one of the, the sort of founding elements of, of the design run game is the read option, okay? I actually broke down Lamar's 38-yard run in the matchup show this week because it was so clean. It was a read option, then and the the widest defender on the line of scrimmage, and they do a great job of getting to it. What they did is they showed sweep action with Justice Hill, so the widest defender actually jumped outside, and that set up the power run by Lamar, and it was 38 yards. So the question is, what do you want to take away? And and this is hard, but you have to practice this, because this comes down to the discipline and the assignment football we spoke about at the top, is when they run that kind of play, do you want your defensive end, the widest man on the line of scrimmage, because they're a four-down line, um, do you want him jumping outside worried about the sweep or do you hope your team speed, you know, with Milano and Edmonds runs down the sweep and you make sure that Lamar hands it off as opposed to keeping. So because anytime there's an option, you know, and you guys know this, anytime there's an option in a play, 
the defense can dictate what the play is. Yeah. You know, that's why for years when, when the read option first sort of came into the league in like what, 2012, 13, 14, whatever it was, you know, what teams started to do with quarterbacks that could run was they just, they basically stayed outside and made him hand it off, you know, or, right. or, or stayed, you know, and you can make the guy, the quarterback hand it off. You can take away the option. So it all depends who you want to have the ball. You know, you really, and here's a great example, same kind of concept with a sweep element that we're looking at. You know, you you would probably, and this is the play, this is the 38-yarder I, I, I'm breaking down in the matchup show, you would prefer him to give the ball to Justice Hill. So, you know, you have to play with discipline. Um, you know, you have to make him hand it off. Yeah, it's and hard. Most, def- most defenses will have a call, and they'll make the decision um, – when they call the defense as to what they're going to do, they've got to be ready for that play. Now, certainly they make the call and then they run a different play. It's a, but, yep. but you know, you hear defenders talk about how they study film and they make the call. They decide before the play even happens, if it does take place, they're right. going to, they're going to want, you know, due to the game plan, they're going to want this guy to carry the ball or that guy to carry the ball. And it could vary depending on which running back is back there. They might. Right. Want and them. it also varies on, the backfield run action, like the play I'm speaking about that I did in matchup, it's sweep action outside because Lamar is going to run inside with a power run. A lot of times in the zone read, there's inside zone run action and the quarterback will go outside. So it's it's not, no one's suggesting it's easy. That's why Lamar Jackson rushes for a hundred yards, you know, and I think he's done that a couple of times this season already. Right. Um, so this is not easy. It's, you know, now obviously Sean and Leslie have been doing this a long time and they'll have ideas on how they want to go about doing it, but it's still not an easy task. Let's uh, flip it around to Baltimore's defense here, Greg. And it was a defense that looked like it was still trying to fit all the pieces together the first couple of weeks. They still gave up a ton of yardage to the Patriots, but they, they pull that game out because of some fourth quarter takeaways what would be your characterization of those takeaways? I know Humphrey had a pick and so did Peters. Yeah, I mean, well, let's look at the defense as a whole because, you know, obviously those plays came last week against Mac Jones. Um, I think it's a defense that they can throw the ball against personally. Um, you know, the key is obviously protection. Um, I think they're going to feel that they can throw the ball. Um, you know, I think that Look, their secondary is not the same as it was a few years back. I don't think Peters is quite the player he was. Um, I think Humphrey is a good player. Um, But I think they can throw it against this defense. And and I think that, you know, is Gabe Davis, is he he good to go or not? He said he's going to play. Okay, now obviously he dropped a touchdown last week and they would have won the game if he caught that ball. But um, but I, I, I don't think when you play this team as they're presently constituted right now, um, I think they will be able to throw it. And, and look, they, you know, it's funny, they drafted the rookie uh, Hamilton from Notre Dame, who's obviously played, but they've also got, you know, two other safeties that they play a lot of, Um, you know, Marcus Williams is for the most part a back end safety and he's very good at that. So you got to be careful with him, you know, as you try to throw the ball down the field, Um, you know, what this Bills offense has essentially morphed into is all these quick game throws that take the place of the run game. 
And, you know, Josh has become pretty precise with these throws. Right. He's become really accurate in the short game, and it replaces the run game, but it's still not the same as the run game. This um, game, this game, strike, yeah, because of that, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this, no, looks, no, go ahead. This looks like a game that is, is going to be a high scoring game. I mean, the, the, yeah, the Ravens are hang 30 points, you know, in their sleep. And the Bills, if you're telling, if you're, it's your assertion, which I agree with you, that they can throw the football on these guys, the Bills are going to run it up too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, Baltimore is not as man-heavy as they we tend to think of them in their heyday. They don't play as much because I don't think they feel as comfortable doing that, you know, because that's, you know, I don't think their people are quite the same. But it's a team that pl normally plays predominantly single high safety coverage. So, you know, I think you can try to work the seams. Um, now, Marcus Williams is a very good back-end safety. Yeah. Uh, he has he was with the Saints for years. So you can try to work the seams, and I think there'll be opportunities to do that. I mean, it's a team that uh, has a lot of different packages. Um, so we'll see, you know, who they put out there. Um, although, overall, they, they've probably not played – as you know, they will play a lot of dime depending on the situation. You could see them play a lot of dime in this game. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, to me, it's all, it's all up front. You know, if they can limit the pass rush, I think they can really throw it effectively. And that leads me to my next question, Greg, and the last one for me, their pass rush has been inconsistent to say the least. Yep. I realize Justin Houston's battling a groin injury. He's probably hasn't been a hundred percent through the first couple of weeks. They signed Jason Pierre Paul, who based on Houston's availability may have to play this week after just signing. And Oway yeah. has been curiously invisible uh, with yeah. respect to their pass rush. What's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they just have not, you know, been producing a whole lot. They've not been able to generate pressure. Um, you know, so you have to rely on your back end. And obviously the team they played last week against Mac Jones is nothing like the Bills. And obviously the quarterbacks are nothing alike. Um, you know, like I said, it's a team that will play a lot of packages. They play a lot of dime. They play almost as much dime as they play nickel. So you're going to get a lot of six defensive back looks. And that's going to be interesting, you know, to see how the Bills approach that. That We know they're not going to, to morph into a running football team. That's not going to happen. But obviously, when you have six defensive backs instead of five, you've got, you know, a whole different way you can play defense. So, you know, that's something we'll have to see as the game progresses. Um, I think they'll move their receivers around a lot, uh, you know, and I think they'll, 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 you know, one of the things I was told early on uh, by a defensive coach who coached in the NFL for years is you got to attack the seams and see how a team plays it. And, you know, obviously, if you play single high, the seams can be available and you've got to attack it. You've got to attack the seams vertically and see how they're going to play that. And then you can work off that. Is there any chance, last one for me, Greg, is there any chance that the Baltimore Ravens do go dime most of the time and just dare the bills to run it because they know yeah. their running game is struggling? Wouldn't surprise me for a second. Look, they have two safeties in Williams and Clark and they drafted Hamilton. They could easily play three safeties and three corners and, and, you know, take the approach that, hey, if you want to hand the ball off, have fun. You know, that you're not going to beat us handing the ball off. Uh, so, yeah, I could see that 100%. Because why at this point, and you hate to say it, but you, you have to go with what the tape shows and what the reality is, why would at this point, Steve, any team truly be worried about the Bills' run game? That's right. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, Greg, thanks, thanks as Greg. always. Enjoy the uh, week four action here this weekend. We'll keep an eye out for you on ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, that's Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films and co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. We will take a break here, but when we return, we've got more Bills Ravens week four breakdown as we have former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox joining us. He's the co-host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. We'll catch up with him next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And joined now by a former Ravens tight end who is the co-host of the Believe in Ravens podcast, which is available wherever podcasts are found. And it's Daniel Wilcox. Daniel, how you doing? Thanks for giving us some time here, heading into this week four matchup. Hey, man, it's my pleasure being on with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I want to I wanna begin with what seems to be different about the Ravens offense through the first three games. There is a quick strike element that has surfaced mm-hmm. in the passing game that I don't know that we saw with a tremendous amount of consistency from Lamar in the past. That's not to say they've never had a four-play scoring drive in their life. But <laughs> this year, it seems to be far more frequent as he is taking advantage of the outside speed that he has with Duvernay and Bateman. What has happened? Would we call it a transformation? Are we calling this a trend? Is this a new look to their offense? What do you think? Well, to be honest with you, I just think it's a, a evolution of, of 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 a player. You know, you watching Lamar, you watched him over the years. He came in as a rookie and a second year guy, winning MVP, and you know, last year, you know, getting banged up and getting hurt, and you you really missed him. You know, people forgot how good the guy really was. You know, he got hurt last year so early. They had about forty injuries on the offense and defensive side of the ball last year, and and he really struggled late in the season, right before he got hurt because he missed all his offensive linemen, all his running backs and, you know, receivers was down. I mean, he was, I mean, tight ends were down. Everybody was down, you know, and then he got hurt to top it off. And then people kind of forgot exactly who Lamar was. Um, he missed all the preseason because, every, you know, Harbaugh shut everything down for the veteran guys through preseason. And now you're getting a chance to see your first witness of him the first game of the season since he got hurt last year. And I think people just really kind of fell asleep on him. And, you know, everybody was you know, was questioning whether or not they was going to have a passing game because, you know, the receivers left, you know, Hollywood left and went to Arizona. And so everybody was questioning whether or not Bateman and Duvernay could get the job done. And, you know, Duvernay always been a special, a special team stud, you know, and he's played well and, you know, he could run and catch and do all the things that great receivers can do. And Bateman was a guy that came on last year and made some heck of a plays for the Ravens. And this year what you're seeing is them getting a chance to put their, display, their talents on display because there is no other guy, you know. So he's getting the ball to the guys that are open right now. His evolution as a passer to me has been phenomenal. And I've always thought he was a great passer from jump. I never questioned his ability to throw the ball. I mean, you watched him in high school. He threw it well. You watched him at Louisville. He threw it well. And he's been throwing it well since he's been in the league. You know, people really have an issue with your tight end being the number one receiver. But, I mean, when you had Tony Gonzalez, nobody complained. You know, it's it's just so weird to me. You know, we had Shannon Sharp out there. Nobody complained. You know, you had such great tight ends back in the day. Heck, Ozzie Newsom for the Ravens was a tight end. Let's not forget that. He's a Hall of Famer, too, as well. So, um, I, I, I love the fact that his, you know, his leading receiver is a tight end. I think, I think, um, I think he's a stud. You know, I, I really do. I, I think Mark. I think he's a stud. You know, I think he should continue to get the ball to him and throw the ball to him plenty, plenty enough because it opened things up on the outside edge. 
and Lamar overall as a player. And this is one of my main things, Chris. I say this all the time. You know, people complain that he's you know, he's a running back. He's not a real quarterback. You know, what, what constitutes a real quarterback? Are we talking about old school times or new school times? Because new school times, you got to be able to be mobile and you got to be able to move at the quarterback spot. You can't sit back there like a sitting duck anymore and just stay in the pocket the whole time. It's too athletic. It's too many athletic guys coming off the edge. You know, you got a ton of freaking Lawrence Taylor, you know, caliber defensive ends and outside backers that are rushing the quarterback now. So the guys have to be mobile. And if you take, he got design runs. Most quarterbacks in this league do not have design runs. Lamar actually have design runs because he's that talented. So he gets punished for being talented, a talented quarterback. He's just more talented than other quarterbacks. Other quarterbacks only run the ball when they get flushed out of the pocket and they actually call run plays for him. So those run plays, if you take those run plays and you calculate them with his pass plays, then he's throwing the ball, you know, 35, 40 times a game because he runs the ball 10 or 15 times a game. And one of the things about this offense as well, I mean, you're right. Uh, you talk about Lamar, you talk about Josh Allen, they've got a called run game mm -hmm. for him. Uh, Pat Mahomes doesn't really run it, but he picks his spots and extends so many right. plays. The only mm -hmm. reason he doesn't run it more is because he decides to throw it instead of running it on, on extended right. plays. And of course, Kyler Murray, same thing. He gets out and can run and they give him once in a while, they'll give him a designed run or what, or he always has the option to pull it down. The athleticism has really, along with, with, with Lamar winning the MVP and now Josh Allen being a favorite and playing at a high level with a running game with his number on it, that's uh, really changed the landscape of what it's like to defend these offenses as well. Mm -hmm. uh, how have, have you seen Lamar take advantage of that? I'm, I'm, he's throwing the ball now yeah. better. I mean, he's a he is. They've got a real life passing game with Duvernay and Bateman and and Anderson, of course. But man, oh man, he is he can beat you from the pocket now. Yeah, you know what, Steve? Let me let me say this right here because you could definitely relate to this being a you know a special team stud back in the day, the way you were and played the way you played at the wide receiver spot. You have a bunch of guys with no egos, right? Right. You know, you go get those guys, you draft them, but you know they wasn't coming in to be the number one guy. But that didn't mean they didn't have number one possibilities or capabilities. You know how this goes. It's a bunch of phenomenal guys that sits on the bench in the NFL, and people are like, man, that guy sucks. It's, it really, it's really not about a guy sucking in the NFL. Everybody is phenomenal players in the NFL. Everybody's really, really good. The issue is, is, is confidence, right? You know, like your confidence, you get certain coaches that help build confidence, and you get certain coaches that tear down confidence, and then you make a play here or a play there, and all of a sudden your confidence level rises, and now you got guys like Duvernay and Bateman out here that was kind of sitting in the wings, kind of waiting their turn. You know, Hollywood was like, I want to be more of an impact player. He wanted to be the guy. He knew he was the guy when they drafted him. He wanted to be the guy now, and he felt like that he couldn't – he wasn't a star in Baltimore and wanted to go chase his stardom. You know, so now you got two guys that was kind of waiting in the wings that are kind of unselfish. You know, they don't really care if they're the star or not. They just want to play. And they just want to play a lot. You know, and Lamar, he's going to throw the ball to the open guy. He's he's that advanced. He's a sharp guy. And I, I keep trying to express this to people, too. You know, he graduated high school early. He left Louisville early. You know, he's still the youngest quarterback in the NFL doing what he's doing right now. And you have to respect that. You know, Josh Allen is two years older than Lamar Jackson right now. So just imagine what Lamar would be two years from now you know, at 25 instead of 23. So it's just mentally in my mind, like I play this thing over and over again, man. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely like impressed with how well he throws the ball, knowing his age. And even though he's been in the league just as long as some of these guys, it's because he left college early and left high school early. And, and people really forget that. He won the Heisman his sophomore year of college. 
he won the MVP his sophomore year in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, God, this guy's he's a talented individual, man. I'm just waiting to see him continue to evolve and um and see where the things takes him because I really think it's going to be something special. Uh, Daniel, let's flip it around because you know you mentioned how Lamar has to be mobile in this age of pass rushers. You know that mm -hmm. the Bills now have Von Miller, but they also have a young kid, Greg yes, Rousseau, who has three and a half yes, sacks very quietly in his first three games. <laughs> uh, we know that the left tackle position has been a little bit of a revolving door. Ronnie Stanley might have a chance to play this week. McCary, his backup has an ankle injury. He's a little iffy. And I know you got the rookie mountain of a man, Falele, uh, who had to finish the game there at left tackle last week. What is the level of concern with Buffalo's pass rush from what you're hearing down there in Baltimore? Well, I mean, anytime you got, you know, two guys like Rousseau and, and um, Von Miller coming off the edge, it's, it's always a concern, right? And the way this thing works, Chris, is that we go and we break down film. And when we break down the film, we try to figure out who's the best, which one of these guys are most, you know, most dominant. You know, if you see Von Miller getting double teamed every single play and then Russo is making plays on one-on-one -on -one guys, then you're going to do the same thing. You're going to double team Von Miller. You're going to take him out. And you always try to figure out a way to eliminate the biggest threat. All right. So who's their best player? Who who's going to make the Pro Bowl off this one game if we don't block them? Right. And you look at Von Miller and you got to get a respect to where the respect is due. So you're going to put one or two guys or three guys on Von Miller almost every single play. And then that's going to give um, Russo opportunity to make some plays. That's why he sneakily got three and a half sacks. You know, so at the end of the day, <coughs> excuse me, you take out their best player, eliminate their best player so that he doesn't become a pro bowler in the game that you play him. And then you, you you let the chips fall as they may. You chip, you put a tight end over there, you do an extra lineman over there, you bring a fullback out and let him chip, you let a tight end chip him. Anything to slow him down. You tell your tackle to cut him, you know, every now and then, mix him up so he can slow down coming off the edge. How has the Ravens um, How has the Ravens defense evolved from last year and, and over the last three or four years? That's a great question. Um, you know, from last year, I mean, it's, let's face it, we all know what what's the evolution. Everybody was hurt last year. All your corners was out. All your safeties was out. Right. You know, you went and got two new safeties that are ball hawks this year and playmakers, and they got size. They got big guys. Like, you know, Peters is not a small corner. You know, um, Humphreys is a huge corner. And now you got Williams back there who's ball hawking, and he got decent size to him. And Hamilton that you just got out of Notre Dame, that's a fresh rookie kid that's um that's fresh and going to give you some of that fresh juice back there in that safety spot. And he's a big guy too. He's a 6'4", 6 6'5", 6 guy. He's a long body, you know. So they look imposing physically when you look at them DB-wise. They're some of the biggest DBs in the league, and they could run, they could cover, and they're, they're all athletic. You know, it's a pretty it's a pretty exceptional secondary and what I think people don't understand is that the Ravens still got tricks in their bags. They got guys that are hurt right now that's on IR on the pup list that's coming off during the season. And then all of a sudden, they're going to get a little bit better. You're going to be like, oh, God. You know, they got a new pass rusher just got in, and he's, he's sick. Then they just signed Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, you got another veteran guy to come in with, Clayus Campbell, who's going to deserve some respect as soon as he understands what's going on in this defense. And the evolution of it has been kind of crazy because you lose a Wink Martindale, and then you bring in a Mike McDonald who's, who's underneath Wink. And um, you know they, you know it, it goes all the way back for Rex Ryan to me. I love Rex. I love the, the the anticipation and the understanding of how to break down every team's offense. You know where they weak spot set. Who's the weakest link? We're gonna we're gonna put pressure on him, and then we're gonna give everybody a chance at him. You know whoever the weakest link is, he gonna see all eleven all players at some point of the game, and you know we're gonna get to the QB. And the Ravens uh, have always done a phenomenal job 
of just trying to confuse you just for a split second. That split second of confusion will cause all type of trouble, tip passes, rush throw, thrown balls, um, interceptions, fumbles, everything. So, I mean, the Ravens are back in the turnover column again this year, and I really like that. You know, I think they got six interceptions already on, on the season. And um, it's only going to continue to go, you know, get higher and higher with the DBs they have. Only got about a minute left here, Daniel. So the last one I've got for you <laughs> concerns the, uh, the the Ravens' run game. You know, last year it was a revolving door due to yeah. injury. J.K. Dobbins just got back last week. It looked like, at least from the outside looking in, they had him on a little bit of a pitch count. I know Justice Hill yeah, is did. healthy and has some juice to add to that run game. What? How would you assess the status of that run game right now? And do you anticipate um, – Dobbins still being on a little bit of a pitch count even this week. Yeah, I definitely do. I, I think last year was more, I mean, last week was more of a tester for him to kind of get a feel for where he felt. He didn't even look like he was running hard. Some of the times, you know, he got the ball. He was just trying to get a feel for the game again himself, you know, the live contact and everything. So, I mean, he went out there and gave it his all. And I, I think it's going to continue to go up and up. But you, you could tell instantly that the Patriots recognized that he was out there. They respected the fact that he was out there. That's why Lamar had the runs that he had because they was literally kin on Dobbins instead of kin on Lamar. And that allowed Lamar to be freer and run better. And then Justice Hill took took a little bit of that action too and had a really, really, really big game. Justice Hill is at full speed right now. It looks like to me he's at 100%. Dobbins look like he's right around 90 to 95. And maybe 100, but just, you know, still just knocking some of that rust off. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens once, you know, Dobbins go full speed again. He still looks strong. He still looks big. He still looks twitchy and fast. And um, then, you know, who else is coming back, you know, pretty soon, Gus Edwards. Daniel Wilcox, thanks so much for spending some time with us. I know we've been trying to get you on all week, and I'm glad we finally made it on the last day of the week. Thanks for coming on, man. Good <laughs> luck this weekend. Hey, man, it's a pleasure to go on with you guys, man. You know, I, I really appreciate it. You know, thank you for having me on. You bet. Appreciate the time. That's Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end and host of the Believe in Ravens podcast, which you can get on any and all of your podcast platforms. Steve and I take a break here. But we wrap it up with some final thoughts on Bills Ravens next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Time for building a game plan presented by United Rentals. United Rentals is the exclusive and official construction equipment rental partner of the Buffalo Bills. Steve, build a game plan for the Bills offense. Bills offense has got to come out. If they're going to throw the football because of the conditions, I think it's got to be short, precise, quick release, rhythm passing to get it out. Shorter, the ball shouldn't be in the air very long. Plus, I think they should do some RPOs as well, run pass options. If the Baltimore Ravens come out in five or six DBs, you got to make a concerted effort to run the football right at them, and you got to win. Uh, you've got to get them out of their diamond nickel package so that if you do have to throw it, you can do it out of the right personnel and you can do it on down distances that aren't impossible. So you got to run the football well enough against their light boxes if there is indeed some, if, if indeed they do have light boxes, you got to make hay in that. And of course, your red zone offense has got to, got to score touchdowns, yeah. not field goals. Uh, for me, on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's about squeezing the pocket. The defensive front has to squeeze the pocket down in tight, in a concerted effort. Like, it's got to be working in concert, that whole rush. All four of those guys, they can't leave any cracks in squeezing the pocket down because you don't want to give Lamar an escape lane to take off and run 40 or 50 yards. So 
a disciplined pass rush that can squeeze the pocket and constrict it to a point where Lamar can't function in there, I think will go a long way in kind of rendering that passing game manageable and not explosive, which is what they have been. I mean, Steve, when facing the Blitz, Lamar Jackson's got 352 passing yards, six touchdowns, and a passer rating of 153.5. All of those numbers are number one in the league. They've got four touchdowns at 20 yards or more. And they've scored first and led after the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, first, second, and third quarter in all three games. Here's the thing. This game is about this, too. One, the explosive plays allowed by either defense or gotten by either offense and turnovers. Turnovers in this game, I think, are absolutely as important as the score because I think they're going to they're gonna be the difference. Yeah. So I'm expecting a close game. It's going to be a rain-soaked game. Don't think ball security could come into play in this one. It's a little bit harder to hold on to a wet football. Yeah. It's, I mean, one turnover advantage to one team over the other could be the if difference. If you can go into this game as an offense and not turn it over, it's it's like a touch. It's like ten points in, yeah. into me. I just want the Bills to have one less turnover than the Ravens, right. preferably two. Right. Uh, and then I'd feel a whole lot better about them winning this one. We'll see you on Monday to break it all down. We'll see you at noon.